In our service today, we're looking at this whole idea of things being personal, and specifically in this Easter season, we want to understand not just the details that surround the Passion Week, we want to understand and, and really engage with the personal connection to it. And so today we're looking at Jesus as our high priest. It's personal. He's our high priest. And we're going to be looking at this high priest model through the book of Hebrews. Now, here's something interesting about the book of Hebrews. If you want to talk about the contribution that Hebrews uh, has or has made, is, is actually really, really highly connected to Jesus as high priest. In fact, one, of the, one could argue that the main point of Hebrews is to explain the significance of Jesus as high priest. Now, it's not the only theme that we find in the book of Hebrews, but it is a significant theme um, in there. And so then we're going to take a look at that. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 to 16. And uh, it's a fantastic passage. It highlights the whole notion of Jesus being our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. If you don't know where the book of Hebrews is, in the beginning of your Bible, there is a table of contents. Please use it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And here is what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. I pray, Jesus, that we will... Uh, Lord, even though we don't have a real concept of what it means to have a high priest, Lord, that we would be able to understand and, and make it personal this idea that you are the one who goes before us. You are the one who intercedes for us. You are the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and Lord, that you are the one who has redeemed us. Lord, that we would be able to personalize that in a way that draws us closer to you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, Hebrews covers this whole notion of the high priesthood of Jesus uh, as one of the significant themes within the book of Hebrews. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, we read, Now the main point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. And the main point is this. And so really what you find in, in Hebrews, especially the first 10 chapters, 9 chapters, is the whole notion of, and you can fill in the blank, Jesus is better. So he's the better high priest. He's the better sacrifice. He is the better temple. He is, like in all things, Jesus is better. And, uh, and so one of the struggles we actually have today is that we don't always actually see the practical value of a priesthood because it, it's so outside of our experience. We don't believe that the meditation of a special order of priests is necessary to assist our approach to God, unlike, for example, uh, Roman Catholicism. It doesn't mean that a priesthood is somehow unimportant or unnecessary, but we just don't connect with it. Scripture teaches that we all require a priest to approach God, but Hebrews emphasizes that Jesus Christ himself is our priest, 
our great high priest, and there's no rivals. And so we don't need to rely on any lesser order or imperfect priest to approach God. So what then do we do with this? If we don't have this practical uh, daily connection with a priesthood, um, one that we can tangibly get a hold of, what do we do with this? What does it mean for Jesus to be our high priest? So let's take a look, a little walk through Hebrews. The high priesthood of Jesus in Hebrews, we find uh, one of the things that's related to it is this idea that there is a final sacrifice. Our great high priest, Jesus, has offered the final sacrifice for sins. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. And so his sacrifice is perfect. There's no additional sacrifice needed. And it's forever. So, so here's what that means. It's, it's a really weird thing because often what we try to do is we try to negotiate with God, right? We barter with God in some way. We say, Lord, if you do this, then I will do this. And then it's this idea that we're going to sacrifice something in order to gain something from God. But this is not the language of Scripture. The fact is, is that there is nothing that we can do to gain favor with God. There's nothing we can do in terms of um, making sacrifice for our behaviors or, and sin. And so then we need somebody else, and this is, of course, where Jesus comes in. Now, this is not new information for most of you, but it's true information, and it's something that we need to make sure that, that is part of our understanding. Jesus is, in fact, our high priest, and as such, he offers himself as a sacrifice, and it is the perfect sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice necessary. And this is the case because Jesus didn't simply just offer a sacrifice that was external to himself, but he actually offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. A key text in this regard would be Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7, that actually quotes Psalm chapter 40, verse 6 to 8. When Jesus comes into the world, he says, "'Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9 adds, and it adds to it by saying, And by that, we have been sacrificed through the offering, sorry, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And so Jesus' sacrifice provides a solution to a problem that we often find in the Old Testament. Like even the sacrifices that are being offered, people's hearts, including those of the priests, were often far from God. Jesus overcame the imperfection of the previous offerings by offering the sacrifice his own body. He was fully devoted to God in every way. He never sinned, whether by deeds or omission or commission. And therefore, he realized the perfection in himself that was necessary for the true remission of sins. In other words, if Jesus wasn't perfect, there was no remission of sins. You catch that? There's no remission of sins. Jesus lived a perfect life, which enabled him to serve himself as the perfect sacrifice. And so as Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In chapter 9, verse 22... We also know that, that the bull's blood and the goat's blood can never fully take away the sins of the world. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. So that is why it's such a wonderful news that Jesus himself is our final sacrifice. Like none of this other stuff was really actually working, um, <coughs> excuse me, from an eternal perspective anyway. And so because it wasn't really working from an eternal perspective, Jesus comes in 
who is eternal, who offers a sacrifice, that is eternal, and it is absolute. So Jesus brings a lasting forgiveness of sins because of the value of his sacrifice. So we have that. And then we also have this idea that he is not just a final sacrifice, but he's also this heavenly high priest. Jesus is our great high priest in a way that is superior to the high priesthood of the Old Testament because Jesus ministers in heaven itself. We see this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where he states that he sat down at the right hand of God when he had made purification for sins, which is also in chapter 10, verse 12. It's important to remember that Jesus' sacrifice is so powerful because he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. That's chapter 7, verse 16. His seat at the right hand of God, his seat of the victorious conqueror who conquered all his enemies, including sin and death. And we read that in chapter 1, verse 13, or Psalm 110, verse 1. And so only Jesus provides access to the throne of God. Only Jesus provides access to the throne of God. Not anybody else, not good intentions, not good morals, none of that kind of stuff. Only Jesus. He is our sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, our hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus reigns as this great high priest in heaven itself. And so, as our great high priest who makes the final atonement for sins, Jesus, we also know, is fully human. And yet the same verse at the beginning of Hebrews tells us of his ascension to the right hand of God, which also emphasizes the divinity of the Son. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And so the power of Jesus as our great high priest to forgive our sins is related to his divinity as well. His experience in terms of being tempted in every way like us is part of his humanity. His divinity shows that he is able to forgive our sins. As the risen and ascended divine and human great high priest, Jesus is the priest forever. He is never having to re be renewed in his office. He never takes a break or goes to sleep, ever. Death will never prevent him from executing his office as priest. He is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Melchizedek is, uh, he's a priest king that Abraham experiences in the book of Genesis. He is a royal priest king whose priestly reign had no end. He can save his people completely because he always lives to intercede for us and never ceases to provide access to God, blessing us with the benefits of salvation acquired by his high priestly work. And if you want more on that, like take a look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 to 25. No, here's the neat thing. And, and I think it's something that we need to remember more frequently. Every single accusation that comes against us, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. I want us to understand that. The devil makes accusation against us to God, and Jesus says, my blood covered that. Every single time, day and night, Jesus is interceding on our behalf to the Father, saying that the sacrifice was sufficient for that sin. This is what Jesus is constantly doing. He is, our, he is interceding on our behalf day and night before the Father. 
This is a big deal. So I want you to think about this. Every time you have somebody accuse you of something that you've already been forgiven for, the blood covered it. Every time you have this negative thought about your past and, and, and attempt to evaluate self, yourself on the basis of your past rather than your future, the blood covered it. Jesus is constantly interceding for all of it. Think about that for a moment. It's covered. And not only is he the high priest who serves in heaven, he is a high priest like us. In case we think that Jesus is far removed from us in heaven, because there's this picture that people have often, right? They say like, oh yeah, I'm here now, but God's far off in a distance somewhere. But that's actually not in fact true. In case we think that Jesus is far removed from us in the heavens, Hebrews teaches that Jesus our great high priest, is our great high priest because he's near to us. He's our brother. He's the one who goes before us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. But the one who makes his people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's talking about us. And Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. The Son of God was not ashamed to be known as our brother. I want you to think about that. The Son of God, the one who uh, all of history has been impacted by. is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. He's not ashamed of you. Think about that. He is not ashamed to be associated with you. That's a big deal. And that's unlike anything else that we've ever maybe read about or heard about in the world. In other words, Hebrews emphasizes Jesus' commitment to our salvation, even to the point that he endured suffering to bring many sons to glory, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 18, it goes on and says, uh, and this is talking about Jesus being able to identify with us, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in humanity, listen, so that by his death he might bring power, the power of him who holds power over death, that is the devil, and free those who are all who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And so he understands what it means to live in this world with all its difficulties, not least the need to struggle against temptation. And this is key because Jesus made, he, Jesus is made like his brothers in every respect. He is qualified to serve as merciful and faithful high priest. And so let's not neglect seeing his mercy towards us. Our priest and brother, Jesus, goes before us as the pioneer or trailblazer for where we are to follow. He's even gone before us in death, defeating, defeating it by his own sacrifice, defeating the devil by it. The one who has the power of death and would confine us in fear to lifelong slavery. But sin has no power to keep our great high priest in the grave. 
And therefore, sin has no final power over those who trust in Jesus as the great high priest. That's the point. Jesus Christ has conquered death and is the trailblazer for all those who share in the faith of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and verse 16 to 11. And so you could then say that he's the only high priest we will ever need. There is no other need for anyone else to come as intercessor for us. We all need a priest to make atonement for our sins and provide access to God. And Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is the great high priest. The priests and the priestly institutions of the Old Testament prepare us to understand this important aspect of Jesus' work as mediator. We have no need to revert to a purely human priesthood to mediate for us. Jesus is the best and only priest we will ever need. He has perfectly atoned for our sins, provides intimate access to God, and is able to keep us or help us in times of weakness like no one else. So why would we look anywhere else? It is fitting, I would say, to conclude with that exhortation from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 that we read earlier. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, because of Jesus, we never need to fear approaching the throne. Ever. Ever. We can always approach the throne because of Jesus. And that's the amazing thing about Good Friday. There's one last thing that Jesus, that I want to highlight that Jesus did on Good Friday. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. But the high priest was supposed to make atonement, was supposed to make sacrifice for the um, sins that the people knew about, but also for the sins that they didn't know. And so in John 17, we read what's called Jesus' high priestly prayer, um, where he's praying for all the people, and, and certainly praying for the disciples, praying for unity, but praying for even us today, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And that by our unity, people will know that he came from the Father. So that's significant. But he does something on the cross that is also a high priestly thing to do. Because he's making atonement. He is praying to the Father on our behalf. And I don't know if you remember this, but, but he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a high priestly prayer. For the sins that we don't know that we do. This is the one who intercedes for us. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. His death was that of the ultimate high priest, the final sacrifice, the heavenly high priest, and the one who can relate to us. Good Friday is good because Jesus shut down that he shut down death. He shut down sin. He won. He wins. And he intercedes for us. So don't be afraid to go to him. You've never done something so bad that he can't handle it.
And you can always approach the throne with confidence, knowing that Jesus intercedes for you. So seek forgiveness where in areas that you need to be forgiven. But then also ask Him to forgive you of the things that you don't even realize that you're doing. And be willing to do the same thing for others, right? Because those who claim to be in Christ must live as Jesus lived. Well, Jesus forgave people who knew the things that they did against Him, and He forgave people who didn't know about the things they did against Him. Sounds like a pretty good model of life. But more importantly, it is because of Jesus' work on the cross, because Jesus' work as high priest, that we have salvation, that we have access to the Father. So don't treat this as just, oh, I've heard this before. Like truly wrestle with what it means for Jesus to, on a like day and night basis, be pleading your case. He's pleading your case day and night. He's ridiculously committed to you. And that makes it personal. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that we would truly make this personal, that we would uh, lean in and, and, and wrestle with what it means for you to be interceding for us on a daily basis, what it means for you to have made this ultimate sacrifice for us so that we can join you in heaven. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a time of reflection. It would be a time of joy uh, so that we can truly uh, wrestle with it and internalize it. In your name I pray. Amen.